All right, we are going to continue in our uh, worship by reading uh, today's scripture. It comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Thank you, Jason. That was a nice prayerful music. Um, we're, we're going to read the scripture in the ESV, and I'll be reading that. Uh, uh, if you would like to follow along and find the scripture, we're going to reference it throughout the message. But it, it's also projected, going to be projected here. So uh, again, it's uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Okay. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, uh, today's message is called Christ Formation. And we've been talking a lot about how we can change and transform. And uh, it, it, as I think about uh, change and uh, transformation, uh, it makes me think of a comedy sketch that uh, Kevin Chung told me about uh, uh, it was like maybe about a month ago, he told me about this comedy sketch with uh, uh, Bob Newhart. Uh, and uh, it, this was on TV a number of years ago. Uh, but it, it, the, the sketch is about a, a uh, therapist. And uh, the therapist gives five-minute therapy sessions that cost $5. And, you know, the person comes in and thinks like, what? Like, can this be true? Like, this is such a good deal. But then you see what his therapy is. And so this person comes and they have all these problems and they have all these, uh, you know, they've experienced all these traumas and there's these thoughts that they can't get rid of and uh, these feelings that they can't put away and, you know, addictions that they have that they can't break. And what he does is he just tells them two words. He just says, stop it. And, and for every problem that they have, they're, they're like, well, I have this problem too. And he's just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. If only it were that easy, right? Uh, if only you could just say to someone, stop it when they need to change. Or to yourself, stop it when you have an uncomfortable thought. Or, or when you have, uh, uh, you know, uh, emotions that, that just get unruly. Or when you have addictions that you can't break, just stop it. We know that uh, willpower and our ability to change our behavior, um, it, it's very limited uh, on our own. And if it wasn't, then, then in many ways, we wouldn't need to be saved, right? We wouldn't need a savior. Uh, but we are called to transform. I mean, it's something that we've been talking about for years, Um and, uh, you know, one of the things that we recognize in the church and that, that's definitely biblical is that change cannot come only from yourself, right? 
It's not just mind over matter. It's not just a matter of willpower, right? If it were that easy, we would all do it, and we wouldn't have any problems in society, right? Um, But at the same time, I think that one of the things that we want to talk about today is uh, there's this kind of tightrope that we have to walk when we talk about transformation. Because on the one hand, you can't just change on your own, right? You can't just will yourself to do it. Uh, with no help at all. But at the same time, I think sometimes what we do uh, in the church is we actually go in the other extreme. And there are many ways that we talk about change as if we have no part in this. And, and there's actually nothing we can do. And in some ways, I, I fear that the way that the modern church has tried to communicate um, change, it, it, it sort of actually tells us that you don't have to change. That, that uh, actually changing your behavior isn't that important. And, and I want to be very clear because I think some of the things that I'm going to say, uh, w- what I'm trying to say is that the, 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 the way the gospel gets pre- presented and, and the way that, that we're, we're told that we're supposed to change, um, I don't think it's wrong. And, and some of the things that I'm actually going to show you, uh, the, these messages are not wrong, right? It, it's not bad theology per se. But this is what I know about the flesh, right? And, and this is what we've been saying. The reason why you cannot change on your own is because you are not in control of yourself, right? Um, it's Pentecost, right? We're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the idea of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead you into righteousness. It's supposed to lead you into Christ-likeness, right? And, and the implication of that is you cannot lead yourself. Your own spirit cannot do it, right? And, and that's something that we definitely want to, to be clear about. But the flesh, the way it works is that it's this desire for us to be our own gods, right? For us to be in charge of ourselves. There are, there are things that we want that are not of the will of God. We just want them, right? We just desire them, right? And that's why this thing is so tricky because this thing that is a part of us, the flesh, um, it, it's just very insidious. It, it's just, it's infected our whole system. And my, my, my suspicion is that oftentimes, that even if you get good teaching, good gospel teaching, good biblical teaching, often the flesh will try to find a back door. We'll try to find a way to, to be in charge again. We'll try to find a back door so that we can get what we want. And I think that's what often happens. So I want to show you, and again, you know, none of this is necessarily completely wrong, but I think what we hear from this um, the, the way that this gets interpreted by our flesh, uh, the way our flesh takes us and runs with it is the problem. So uh, one of the ways that it's kind of a catchphrase now for the ways that we try to change our, ourselves uh, that, that uh, gets talked about a lot is this phrase behavior modification. And I want to show you just uh, some kind of excerpts from, uh, I, I hear this in so many sermons and you, you see, uh, you know, Christian books and articles and they talk about behavior modification and it's usually described as a bad thing. It's usually described as being contrary to the gospel. And so, um, you know, these are just some headlines here from different sermons and I try to cut out the, uh, the author and, you know, um, 
Uh, partially because there's nothing wrong in and of itself with many of these articles. I think uh, the, the, there's one I probably have more um, uh, more of a problem with than the others. Uh, but when you actually read the articles, they're not that bad, right? But it, it just, just yeah, let's just read them. It says, we need gospel community, not a behavior modification program. Uh, th- this is a sermon title, Behavior Modification Versus Gospel Transformation. So these two things are thought to be different things, behavior modification and gospel transformation. God is not into behavior modification, it says. And this is a comment that someone made um, uh, like, like uh, on social media. The gospel doesn't call us to behavior modification or to a missional to-do list. The gospel calls us to identity transformation and a missional done list. That sounds great, right? But at the same time, what is behavior modification that seems so bad, right? If you think about just the word behavior modification, I think it just means changing your behavior. Is God against changing your behavior? Far from it, right? I I think in many ways what they're trying to say is that... um, uh, that that the message of Christ is not just about behavior modification. That's definitely true, right? And behavior modification cannot save you, for sure, right? And, and just changing your behavior on your own without God isn't a wise strategy for transformation. But just the idea uh, that, that I think sometimes can get communicated is that we can think that changing your behavior doesn't matter. And And... It, it couldn't be farther from the truth when you look at Scripture, right? Let's just take a look at um, this passage in Colossians 3. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So, Brothers and sisters, you know, I, I know I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, this idea that there's sometimes phrases or there's verses we don't like. I got to tell you, verse 6 is one of them I don't like. It's probably one that you don't like either. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I know I'm not a, a real big fire and brimstone uh, preacher, but it's there, right? The wrath of God is coming. This is serious, right? You can't just gloss over this and be like, oh, well. Christ forgives us. So it's no big deal. It is a big deal, right? These things, these things, they are within you. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The actual Greek phrase there is um, uh, your earthly members, uh, your members that are of this earth. And so what that means is that these things are actually a part of you. They're like members of your body. We are infected with it. And so it is not so easy to get rid of, for sure, but we're supposed to, right? And, and, and then it goes on, but now you must put them all away, right? Not just some of them, not just the ones that are easy for you to get rid of or whatever token sin that the church tends to focus on at different times, but all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, Right? And maybe we can look, look at this and, and say, well, Pastor Steve, this isn't behavior modification. This is a change in identity, right? Well, these are talking about characteristics. But then it says, do not lie to one another. Isn't that a behavior? Right? Not lying? 
Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So I'm not going to argue that, of course, your identity is supposed to change, right? You're supposed to put off your old self, your old identity, the old kind of human that you used to be. But I, I bold-faced it for, for a reason, that, that this idea that we're supposed to put off your old identity, but by doing that, it's also got to be with its practices, right? With its behaviors. What does that sound like? Behavior modification, whatever you want to call it. Your behavior is actually supposed to change, right? But how that changes is the important part, right? I've already said this. Many, many times. I'm not saying that the Bible is just saying, stop it. (laughs) Don't do it, right? I wish it were that simple. It is definitely not, right? In many ways, um, the church has gone off the rails at times. We can't swing in the other direction where we're like, okay, so we're supposed to be like Christ. These things, you know, because of these things, the wrath of God is, is coming. So stop it. Don't do it. If you do it, then you are not of God. And we use guilt and we use shame. And, and we, we just think that if we change the behavior, then everything will be fine. And that's not the truth either. When you go to Colossians chapter 2, just the, uh, a few verses before this, this comes right after, and it is connected to Colossians 2, where it actually tells us that just changing your behavior isn't enough. So let's take a look at that. Um, Colossians 2, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So what this is referring to is the law. Right? These commands of saying that you're supposed to eat certain things. Certain things are kosher for you. Certain things are, are, are legal, right? Uh, you're supposed to practice your faith in a certain way on certain days with certain festivals, with certain religious practices, right? And, and, uh, Paul is saying, let no one pass judgment on you for the way you practice these things. These are a shadow of the things to come. Right? The law is hinting at something, but it is not the thing itself. The substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. We'll get back to this. But the idea is that the important thing is Christ, not the behavior itself. The behavior is just hinting at the substance, the real meat of the matter. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. What is asceticism? It's this, these Christian practices or just, you know, whatever, moral practices where you're trying to uh, curtail your flesh. You're trying to put away certain, you know, things that uh, pleasures or, you know, desires and uh, you become very strict with yourself. You know, uh, you, you say, you know, hey, you're not supposed to eat those kinds of foods or you're not supposed to indulge in those kinds of behaviors. Right. Um, It says, let no one disqualify you insisting on these things. Worship of angels. Again, worship in a very specific kind of way. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Again, who is the head? Jesus. It's all about Jesus, friends. 
from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So what is this saying? Jesus is the head, right? Jesus is the most important part. Everything else grows out from Jesus. It's got to start with Jesus. So it does not start with your practice. It starts with Christ, right? Um, but your, your actions, your behaviors, your life will flow out of that. Um, it goes on to say, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, again, not to get into too much detail in this, but the idea of a spirit is a spirit is something that leads you, right? And so oftentimes, you know, we're like, I'm, you know, I'm free. I, 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 I'm a grown man or woman. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, you're not free. You're not free if these things lead you in a way where you can't stop it. You can't help it, right? The, the spirits lead us. Uh, and it says, why, as if you were still alive in the world, uh, submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So again, this idea, stop it. You know, don't do that practice. Uh, you know, stop whatever, you know, sinful thing you're doing. Don't do it. Does this seem completely contrary to what we just read in Colossians chapter 3, right? If you just need a reminder, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, right? All these things, and it goes off a whole litany of, of characteristics, of qualities, of, of things within us that it says need to die, right? And it says we're supposed to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to each other, right? It's talking about characteristics, but of course, characteristics and behavior are tied together, right? And this is where it gets so tricky, you know? Because on one hand, you know, definitely you are supposed to stop these practices, but how? Is important. So going back to what it talks about, about this idea of just saying, don't do it. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? And it says according to human precepts and teachings. Right? For example, somebody could tell you, hey, stop sinning. Right? Don't do it. Or what? Or else. Or, or we will shun you. Right? Or God will hate you. Or you will go to hell, or what, what, whatever you know thing that we use out of fear, right? And that won't be an actual change within you. It will be motivated by that thing that is already in you, which is fear, right? So you are changing, but you're not changing because of Christ. You are changing because of fear, right? You're changing because of this thing that already exists within you. But it says in Scripture, perfect love drives out fear. So if the perfect love of Jesus Christ exists within you, then there shouldn't be this kind of earthly fear, this fear of what other people think of you, right? 
So in that way, you have not been made new, right? You have not been uh, uh, renewed completely in your mind and in your heart, like what it talks about in Romans 12, right? And, and so oftentimes, you know, people may change, but you might be changing for very, very human fleshly reasons, right? Maybe you're doing it because everyone else is doing it. Maybe you're doing it because, you know, if you don't do it, you're just going to feel bad, you know? Or maybe you're doing it because people will judge you, right? And, and this is what Paul is saying. This is what the Word of God is saying, is that that's not real change. You're still changing or tweaking your behavior, but at the same time, who you actually are within you has not changed. And it's dangerous, too, because you can kind of hide, right? You can be like, oh, but look, I'm doing such good things, right? I'm such a good Christian. I'm not sinning, right? How many times are people like that so prideful, right? Well, I'm not sinning. Look at how righteous I am. And in that, we are sinning because of our pride. Right? That, that, that's part of the flesh. The way that, that the Bible talks about sin, um, it, it's, it's kind of hard to understand, but there's kind of sin with a big S and sin with a little s. Right? Sin with a little s is your behavior. Right? And, and, and this is what Paul is saying, is that you can't just solve sin with a little s. You have to solve sin with a big S, which is your condition, your flesh, what is within you, the tendencies that you have that you cannot help. You can't defeat flesh with flesh. You have to defeat flesh with spirit, right? You can't just use your flesh, this tendency to want to be in control and say, okay, I'm just going to stop it. It's not the way it works, right? Your flesh is going to do what it wants. We have to change by the Holy Spirit but we do have to change. We got to put it to death, right? And and so, you know, this idea of putting to death your old self with its practices, you know, this idea that it it can talk, you know, uh, Paul can shift from saying, you know, put away these things that are identity things, that are, 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 it's about character, anger, wrath, malice, slander, you know, this immorality, this impurity within you. But it's also talking about actual practices. Do not lie to one another, right? And this is the thing. You know, if we say we don't want behavior modification, but we just want identity transformation, but let me ask you, you know, so you look at something like like identity, like a Christ follower is supposed to have integrity, But can you have integrity and lie at the same time, right? One is your character, and the other is your behavior, right? Now, you can absolutely, um, you know, tell the truth and, and, you know, not lie on, on some occasions and still not have integrity, right? We know that. You know, you, you can do all these right things outwardly, Right? And not sin in a way that we can see, but still have a very rotten heart and character. Right? 
But at the same time, if your character is changed, your behavior must necessarily change, right? And and in many ways, brothers and sisters, we have to take a look at that. We have to be honest. If there is behavior that is coming out in us that is not of Christ, that that it falls on this list of so many things that... that that uh, Paul says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. If these things are coming out in your life, then you haven't completely transformed, right? And that's the problem. And, And that's what we are trying to get to. We want to be transformed. You know, and by the way, when you look at some of this stuff, you know, uh, I just, just to take a few of these, you know, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, desire, and covetousness, right? What is that? You know, what, what that is, it's just greed, right? Which is idolatry. I know some things on this list, we look at this and we're like, yeah, you know, the sexual immorality, you know, definitely cut that out. But do we look at the greed? Because that one actually gets called out. I mean, it says it's idolatry, right? You put so much faith and money in, in your stuff, more than you do God. You worship this. You live for this. We spend so many waking moments devoted to this than we do to God. It is idolatry. And the world actually applauds it, right? It's called capitalism. You know, when it says passion, you know, follow your passion. We say that all the time in this world. Well, Pastor Steve, are you sure it's the same kind of passion? Well, I don't know. But I think this idea that you are just supposed to follow your heart, that you just do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, that very much is a, a message of this world, of this cultural moment we're in. And if we are changed and transformed in Christ, we don't get to do that anymore. We shouldn't do that anymore. We should be following the will of God above what we want. And so, brothers and sisters, I just point all this out to say that there is a need for transformation. And this is why um, it's so important what we went over uh, last time, this idea that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How do you change? How do you really transform? Well, brothers and sisters, you don't transform by yourself. And you don't transform in any pattern that you want to. Like, well, I just want to change this in my life. You know, I just want to pick and choose some of those vices or some of those things that aren't good for me. But the other ones, I'll just kind of let that slide. And the reason why you don't get to change that is because there is already a pattern. There's already a will of God for you, right? What is the will of God? What is the will of God? This is the will of God. For Christ to be formed in you, right? All of this transformation is Christ formation, right? The reason why you don't get to do these things is because Christ doesn't do these things, right? This isn't the way of Christ to just follow whatever you want to do, right? Uh, to, to, to just live life however you want. There is a better way of living. Um, I, I've been watching this. Uh, there's this documentary on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Generation Wealth. 
And um, I just, just want to warn you for just anyone who wants to look it up. is is definitely not appropriate for kids. Just, just want to let you know that. But uh, it's a documentary about super wealthy people. And, you know, there's, there's this photographer who followed around these, these wealthy people, the Kim Kardashians of the world. Uh, she actually did, well, Kim Kardashian was one of the people that she took pictures of when she was uh, a teenager and just watched these people grow up and, and just watched what wealth does to people. And this promise, that, that this, this unfettered uh, uh, desire in America and in the, the heart of our culture that says you can have whatever you want and if you don't, you won't be happy. But if you just keep pursuing these things, you will be happy. Is it, is it giving us what we want, brothers and sisters? You know, I, I've gone into more detail about this in other messages, so I, 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 you know, I won't say more than that. But what I've been trying to argue and what the message is uh, so much of the gospel and the kingdom of God is God's way of doing things, God's program for this world and for you, God's program to make you like him is the best life. That's what this is about. It's not about just changing your behavior. It's not about just stopping to do bad things, right? It says we are trying to put off the old self, because we are supposed to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. You are trying to be made in the image of God, therefore the image of Christ. Christ is the image of God. He is the second Adam, as it says in scripture, right? The first Adam kind of didn't really follow the, the game plan all the time, right? Straight off the path. Didn't always do things according to the will of God. The second Adam absolutely followed the plan, right? When we look at his life, it is the perfect blueprint of our life. So therefore, brothers and sisters, if you want to change, if you want the best possible life, then you want Christ, right? That's what this is all about. We are trying to be made new in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, um, you know, I just want to take a look at uh, uh, when it says, uh, sorry, let's go to here, um, where it says, you know, you have put off the old self with its practices, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, brothers and sisters, uh, earlier in Colossians, in in different parts of of Scripture, I mean, we all know this, I think, for many of us who've been a part of the church. You know, if you don't know this, then then I I hope you, you can learn this. The idea that Christ died for your sin, amen, right? You have been buried with him in baptism. And then you are raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with him. He, having forgiven us 
all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. No longer are we condemned by your behavior or, you know, uh, by not following the law, right? That no longer condemns us. In Christ, if you believe in what Christ has done for us, and again, brothers and sisters, this is very important. It's not just belief. You have to die with Christ in order then to have the life of Christ, right? It's not just Christ did this thing for you apart from you, but he does this thing with you, right? This is why so many of us don't actually transform, because we just want to believe that someone did it for you, but we don't want to go through it ourselves. you got to participate in the death of Jesus Christ. But when you do that, then you are raised to life, right? And, and then that, that weird phrase that, that comes at the end there, uh, that doesn't seem like it belongs in this passage, this idea that you're not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all in, in all. You know what this means? It, it, it's trying to say that these are things that we used to think defined us. We, we used to think these are the things that made us, right? You are who you are, and, and we are, uh, you know, a different kind of people based on certain things, based on, you know, who, who you are born to be, based on your race or your ethnicity. Which, by the way, brothers and sisters, if verse 11 is true, then being a Christian and a racist is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense, right? Because if this is true, then who you are as a Christ follower, who you are meant to be, is now defined by Christ and nothing else. And of course, if you are defined by Christ, then you will have certain characteristics. Yeah? But, but the idea of even just like, you know, circumcision, you know, they got so focused on this in the Bible. They got so focused on, you know, having to follow certain religious practices. You know, do this or don't do that. And Paul is like, yo, that has no power to actually change you. You know what has the power to change you? Christ. That's it. That's your hope. That's your hope for change is Christ. If Christ can be formed in you, then none of these things really matter anymore. There's no real distinction. You say Greek or Jew or you say these different things, and these are just words. These are just labels. Who we really are is who we are in Christ. This is what we want. Paul, man, it just grieved him. It just it made him weep. Over the people in Galatians, uh, they got so focused on, you know, should we be circumcised or not circumcised? And he was like, you know, my children, I, I think of you as children. I'm like in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4.19. Until Christ is formed in you. Because that's the important thing. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision, right? But brothers and sisters, in your spiritual practice, in your life, what are we pursuing? It's not just changing or tweaking your behavior. But when you do anything, when you read the Bible, when you pray, when you come to church, when you meditate, when, when you uh, give to the poor, 
None of this stuff matters on its own unless it is about forming Christ within you. This should be our prayer. This should be our hope. All these things that we do, we do it with the hope of Christ being formed in us. You know, I I just want to encourage us as we, um, you know, go after these things. I know we talk a lot about our behaviors. We talk a lot about our habits. And, um, you know, sometimes you go to churches and they don't talk about behavior habits at all. You know, they talk about it like it's a bad thing. You know, and it's not a bad thing. Your behaviors, your habits, they need to change. But if they are the only thing that changes, then what is it worth? You haven't really changed that. If just the outside behavior, you just tweak a behavior, right? But what we really want, what I desire, brothers and sisters, for myself, for all of you, is for Christ to be formed in you. Is that your desire and your hope? You know, um, I'm going to ask the the praise team to come up here. But when we look at this world today, um, and we look at so many things out there, right? And and we we, we think, you know, we look at the society and we're just like, kind of like Bob Newhart on that comedy sketch. Stop it. (laughs) Would you just stop? Would you stop hating other people? Would you stop treating other people like like they're less than human? Would you stop just thinking about yourself? Brothers and sisters, I mean, that's a longer sermon, (laughs) you know, about justice and about, you know, what we do in this world with other people. But what I know and, and what I think, you know, Pentecost is all about is if there is any hope for this world... Brothers and sisters, the church has got to be the church of Jesus Christ, has got to be the place where the people of God rise up in our Christ-likeness. Because you go out there, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who had every intention in the world to have peaceful protests. But man, the anger just starts boiling up, the rage. And I understand it. I'm not saying that I'm any different. That's actually the whole message. I'm no different. None of us are. And you give us power, and man, it corrupts. It corrupts every person. It's not us versus them. It's not black versus white. It's, It's not people who are just naturally good and people who are naturally evil. There's just all of us who are sinners, and we live in a sinful world. And our hope is Christ in us. Again, there will be a time and place for us to figure out what we do in our behavior. But maybe you're like me. Maybe you realize you can't just change this a thought, through your will. But we need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit. In everything, what we need is Christ to be formed in us. I know 
This is supposed to be a really practical sermon. And I promise you, if Christ is formed in you, it's the most practical thing, right? Your practices will change. But in some ways, I just want to leave you with a thought, with a vision, with a hope. What would it look like if Christ were formed in you? What would our churches look like if we loved like Jesus? If we had the character of Jesus? What would this nation look like if Christ was formed in all of us? And it's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. Can we just take a moment and just pray? And and I, I, I know with Pentecost, there was waiting involved. No, you, you can't always dictate when and how the Holy Spirit will come. There's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with saying, Holy Spirit, we need you. This nation needs you. We need Christ formed in us. We need a new kind of program. We need a new way to love. We need a new way of being, a new character, a new kind of love and peace and hope within us. We need to be new kinds of humans. James Coe was sharing uh, during our prayer time, he was just saying, you know, you know what we just need? We just all need to be better human beings. And I said, amen, James. I'm going to use that in the sermon. And I did. <laughs> we do need to be new, uh, better humans. But it's going to come through Christ formed in us. So let's just take a moment. Before we go into the, the last praise song, let's just cry out. It's not going to come from without. It's going to come from within. It's going to come through the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds and character. So let's cry out. Jesus, we need you. God, we need you. Come and change us. Come and save us. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. Christ, form in us. Change us from the inside out. Let's make that our prayer right now. Let's pray. Be with us, God. You are our hope of glory. You are the hope for change. Jesus, we cannot do this without you. It doesn't matter who we are, God. We Holy Spirit's leading in our life, God. Oh, precious God, for many of us, God, who feel so helpless at times, when we look at the world around us, We're even helpless to change ourselves. And so, God, we cry out. We need a Savior. We need your Holy Spirit to lead us. We need your Holy Spirit to change us. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to die and to be raised to new life in you. God, we need a spiritual kind of life that we are led into Christ-likeness. We need Christ to be fully formed in us, God. And we recognize that he has not, not yet. And so, God, for that we repent. And for that we we pray, God, that you will show us, God, our blind spots. 
and we will continue lay that down before you. We will continue to pray. We will continue to hope. We will continue to be humble to say that we haven't arrived yet until Christ is formed in us. God, we pray for Christ's formation in us as individuals, in us as church, as LGM, in us as the church in America, for us as a people, for us as a global community. God, we need Christ to be formed in us. Oh God, come. Oh God, be with us. Oh Lord, have mercy. Holy Spirit, come. We need you now and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.